Nebraska drops yet another game at home and in the season. They dropped to three and six after losing after the bye week to the Purdue Boilermakers at Memorial Stadium. Welcome back to Rapid Reactions, episode number seven for you this time on Husker Sports Weekly. As always, Grant Hansen, Connor Clark here with you to break down Purdue, Nebraska, talk about what you liked, which there not was much, there was not much of, uh, and then we talk about what we didn't like, and we will break down that game in its entirety. We might talk about a couple of other college football games that happened over the weekend because there were a couple of awesome games that happened over this Saturday, and we will finally be wrapping up the episode with Husker basketball in their exhibition oh. game against Heck Colorado. Yeah. So fun. And so and fun. we can talk about a little bit of Peru State, but uh and they're Let's so they're not, ex- I mean honestly why? Peru Peru State was compared <laughs> to Colorado night and day. Night and day. We'll save it for the back half, but yes. those two were night and day from each other. We'll 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 hit Husker hoops here in about 20 minutes, but let's dive in before we get into Nebraska Purdue. Once again, you can follow us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hanson 15 underscore Hanson. You can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in your fa- in the search bar of your favorite podcast network. So let's jump right in. Nebraska loses to Purdue 28 to 23 last Saturday at Memorial Stadium. They had uh, the 17-14 lead going into half and then everything just fell apart. In that second half, a couple of stats to throw at you. Aiden O'Connell for Purdue, 34-45, 233 yards and two touchdowns. So that tells you a little bit about what kind of passes he was completing all day against Nebraska. Um, Adrian Martinez, 14 of 29, 269 yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions, one of which came back as a pick six for the Purdue Boilermakers. The leading rusher for Nebraska was Jacquez Yant with six carries for 60 yards. And Omar Manning had four receptions, 75 yards, and a touchdown to lead the receivers for Nebraska. And uh, one thing that kind of jumps out to me for Nebraska's offense and receiving core specifically, we saw very little of Samari Toure on Saturday. Or Xavier Betts, apart from the first drive. Or Omar Manning, apart from the first drive. First and second drive. He made that nice move. Oh, I, you know, it's the same old, same old. And I don't care anymore. Like that's that's kind of a sound crazy the alarm. Statement. He doesn't care anymore. I'm kidding. But but it's true. You know. I mean, I do care. I do care about this program. But this team specifically, what happens to Adrian Martinez after this year? What happens to Scott Frost after this year? You know, what happens to any of these guys where they stay or whether they go? I do not care. And you know, I wish the best for them in their lives after football. But if they leave, I don't know if it makes me feel a lot better. And if they stay, I certainly don't. It, it is a weird situation about what, <laughs> what you want to happen with this program. A couple of team stats to throw at you. Nebraska and Purdue yardage. Nebraska won that 399 to 349. Uh, Purdue obviously won the turnover battle 4 to nothing, which you cannot do at the Big Ten level and expect to win. Purdue had 23 first downs to Nebraska's 19 first downs, and this is the stat that really jumps off the page. Purdue's time of possession, 38 minutes, 38 seconds to Nebraska's 21 minutes and 22 seconds. That's not good if you are the Nebraska offense. And credit to Purdue, 
their offensive game plan, it was working. And they, were, they weren't going to do anything too fancy. They were going to have Aiden O'Connell kind of sit in the pocket, throw the little short throws, and get five to seven yards apiece. And it worked out. And they had success running the ball against this front seven as well, which, quite frankly, I wasn't expecting that to work as much. But they had a nice game. Uh, obviously, you saw a little bit of David Bell in there as well, one of the better receivers in the Big Ten and in the country. Uh, he finished... Uh, oh, that was a carry. Never mind. I was about to read off his carry. He says he led the Boilermakers in receiving nine receptions for 74 yards. He did not score, but obviously the damage was done there. But this is a defense, and I don't want to put too much on the defense because it's it's hard. to. I mean, they still held Purdue under 30, and they were on the field for 40 minutes. Well, you, I mean, not even under 30, under 24. Under twenty one or under twenty two. Oh yeah, because of the pick. Because of the pick six. Thank you, but that is downright impressive. First of all, and I mean, it's really disappointing to see from the offense, though. It, granted, it's hard to overcome four turnovers, but their performance was subpar. It was because this, but, like you think about this, this team had negative thirteen yards of rushing offense against Wisconsin a week ago. This team is coming off a game against Wisconsin and against Iowa, two of the most physical teams in the Big Ten. Both losses, or actually, no, sorry, just kidding. One a win, one a loss, but both taking a toll. It was subpar. It was subpar. But Again. at the same time, I will give them the benefit of the doubt for being on the field for 40 minutes. And especially if you, uh, especially in that front seven, because that is the most physical part of the football field, right? Those linebackers and those defensive linemen. Right. Imagine going that hard. For 40 out of 60, or virtually 40 out of 60 minutes in a ball game, that's hard to do. And I'm sure all those guys were sucking wind every time they came off the field. And when it comes to the offense, you got to help them out. You can't, you can't give the ball right back. I mean, we saw that on multiple occasions. Yeah, it's it's mystifying. You know, I think Kelly uh, Staffler. I, I don't know who it was. He was doing it on ESPN two. Uh, he described Adrian Martinez as the great enigma, and I think he is like a, he's got some Nebraska connections. I think I can't remember exactly because he was on the Minnesota game too, and everybody was railing on him. But man, it felt like <laughs> it felt like a group therapy session listening to him describe the play of Adrian Martinez. Uh, really, just terrible decision making. Awful. That probably one of the worst decision making games we've seen from Adrian. And it doesn't make any sense. You know, like, that's this whole process, you know, from Scott Frost walking in the door at his opening press conference with Bill Moose to today makes no sense. You can point to any number of things. Personnel choices, right? Why, why, why does Cam Taylor Britt or an Adrian Martinez get to make really poor decisions this is a point on Big Red overreaction after the game. Why do those guys get to make poor decisions, but if Xavier Betts ties his shoelace wrong or if Jacquez Yant takes one step in the wrong direction, they're done for the game? Why is that the case? There's so many other things, too, that don't make any sense. And, and I think it comes down to, and this might be the, my biggest point, really, of the day, aside from the fact that I don't care anymore, but how is it possible... That so many guys on this team, including the head coach who played here, care so much about fixing this thing. How is it possible that they could care outwardly to the public so much and allegedly 
worked so hard in practice to get this thing turned around, and then performances like Purdue and Minnesota exist, and, and an inability to finish against teams like Michigan and Michigan State exist. How is it possible these people care so much and this thing isn't turned around? You want to talk about Adrian Martinez being an enigma. Yes, it certainly is. But the greatest enigma of Scott Frost's period here at Nebraska, which I think in all likelihood is ending here very, very soon, is why so many people could care so much and it could get worse. Yeah, this season has been weird, and it's been full of different storylines. And I think you were part of this discussion, but we were talking about after the game on Saturday that this season is kind of three different seasons in its own. And Illinois was its own season because there were so many. I mean, you have the buildup to that game, then you have the great disappointment, obviously, of losing that game in Week 0. Then you have uh, Fordham all the way through Michigan. And then you have these two games and probably the next three, or the next these three games, rather. Um, and then the next three. So it's it's been very odd, and that is a good point. How can – and this is something I talked about with you. This is something I talked about with my dad over the phone. This is something <laughs> I talked about with my uncle, who, like, obviously, granted, they're they're much newer to the Husker, Husker fan base, including myself, ever since I started going here. But how can Adrian Martinez – and this goes back to your big red overreaction point – how can your senior quarterback in Adrian Martinez, and this isn't, this isn't even on Scott, how can your quarterback, who is a senior, a four-year starter in Adrian Martinez, be under the same quarterback coach his entire career, and he still makes that shuffle pass play? Obviously, there is a drop-off between Adrian Martinez and Mario Verdusco. How do you make that shuffle pass play? Because clearly that tells, as a fan and as an analyst, that tells me that Mario says, Adrian, you're the most athletic guy out here. You can make any play you want whenever you want. It doesn't matter what you do. Instead of, okay, be smart here. Either throw the damn ball away or take the sack. That's that's what that says to me. And, I mean, I correct me or tell me if you, if you feel differently. But, I mean, I feel like a lot of Husker fans got to be feeling that same way. Yeah, I mean, there's like a certain level of arrogance that exists there. I don't think, but the thing is, I don't think Adrian Martinez is an arrogant person. That's no, why, that's, that's, why, that's and, what makes hating on him so hard, and, because and, he's and a right, good guy. And he, but he kind of deserves some of it. But the, here's the thing, right? Like, you think back to Johnny Manziel, right? Mm-hmm. Johnny Manziel was a fantastic college football player. And all the red flags surrounding him going into the NFL draft were based around decision-making. You make bad decisions off the field, you're going to make bad decisions on the field. That's why Adrian Martinez doesn't make any sense. He makes, generally, good decisions off the field. Yeah, he hasn't been in the news for the wrong reasons. In the press conferences, he says the right and mature things, and he has done that since the day he came here. But the play on the field shows a level of arrogance and a level of recklessness that does not match the person, right? I agree. That, that, that is such a huge mystery. And the thing is, we're never going to get a full answer to that. You know, Mm-mm. when Scott leaves here in December after he is inevitably fired, um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't see a way this team finishes above 3-9. and nine. You know, this is going to be the biggest mystery and the biggest missed opportunity in the last 
five to six years here in Nebraska. Well, and while we were sitting down after the game listening to Big, o- big Red overreaction, sorry, I'm used to saying big or real red reaction, um, they did mention that oh, the point literally just escaped me, but we were listening to the show and they brought up a lot of good points and they were talking about with different callers and stuff, but um, oh, this is what it was. You finished three and nine this year. They're talking about Scott Frost's future, and you you just mentioned you can't see anything better than three and nine here. How do you get worse? Yeah, this is your fourth year. How do you finish three and nine? You were zero and six to start a season, and you finished better than three and nine. Yeah, and again, this is like levels of play worse than like ever, and maybe the past two you know, weeks, since yeah, the late fifties, early sixties. And, like, I just, it's, it's inexplicable. It really is. Because I don't think Scott's a bad dude. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't either. And I don't necessarily think he's a bad football coach. I, mean, I, I do on that front. I, it's he's hard. shown me nothing That's hard. to okay, make me think. It's very hard to reconcile his time here with the season at UCF. Now, granted, he's only had one really good head, season as a head football coach. Exactly. And it was at a non-Power 5 school. So, uh, you know. The Big Ten and the American Athletic Conference are yes. polar oh, yes. opposites. 100%. 180. 100%. And it, it's also mind-blowing, too. Like, when they lost to Michigan, we discussed on this show how it seemed like he had saved his job. And the only things they had to do... Assuming they won the last two to weeks. ...to keep his job was defeat a Minnesota team that had lost to Bowling Green a couple of weeks earlier and had only beat Purdue by seven, and then beat Purdue. Probably the two easiest games on the schedule. And you can't do it. And they're, and the can't te- do and it. they're arguably the team's two worst opponent performances of the year. How? One's off a bye week. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. I and, mean, we're never, and we're never going to get the full story. Right. But something could be being said or behind closed doors, or they just overlook them because we've you've seen collegiate and professional teams do that all the time. They overlook their opponents, and Nebraska maybe because they were in a bunch of close games with a bunch of really good teams. Obviously, the confidence is going to be there, and rightfully so. But that doesn't mean when you go into a, a game against Minnesota on the road and you have a losing record. That doesn't mean you go in there and overlook them. And that doesn't mean you come back home as three and five, seven and a half point favorites somehow against Purdue. That doesn't mean you overlook them. It's the Big Ten Conference. Yes. Every team is good. I don't care if it's Northwestern, who you beat 56 to seven. They could go out and beat Ohio State any given week. I mean, it's the Big Ten. And obviously, that's like, obviously, there's a take that statement with yeah, a huge I mean, there's grain a level of salt. Of hyperbole there, yeah. But. Even Illinois, you lost to them. They're one of the worst teams in the country. So you cannot overlook any team in this conference. And clearly, I think that's what's happened here these last two games. I mean, maybe. I think that's what's happened. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I could not tell you what has gone on here. I mean, nothing makes a damn bit of sense anywhere. And again, I I do want to address this too. Man, I knew someone was going to say something like this after the game. The last person I expected to say it was Jojo Doman. And I get it. 
he was kind of, you know, Dirk Chatlin kind of goaded him into this question a little bit, and Dirk mentioned it afterwards, and other people were reacting poorly to this quote uh, about the fans leaving and basically saying, you know, fair weather, we don't need you. Let me make this abundantly clear. The fans have every right to leave early. The fans have every right to boo this football team. Because it's a bad football team, and it shouldn't be. And it's obvious that it shouldn't be. There's a story of uh, a fan. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I don't want this whole thing to be the freaking Big Red Reaction uh, recap show. But there was a fan who called in there in the last half hour of the show. And I, 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 this is the first time I've listened to the full thing after a game. Um, but he talked about how he had driven with a fan from Minnesota five hours for this game to show him what Memorial Stadium is like and to show him why Husker football did not have any true rival in terms of a fan experience. Five hours. Left early. Embarrassed. And the thing is, 85,000 to 90,000 uh, people are sick and tired of showing up to that stadium every Saturday and being embarrassed. And you know, you can say maybe they don't have a right to feel embarrassed. They didn't play the game. They aren't there. But here's the thing. They keep showing up every week expecting things to change, expecting that we're close. We're close. You say we're close every week, the players, the coaches. And so the fans say, hey, we're close. Every week they think this could be it. This could be the week that they get over the hump. It's not even this is the year anymore. It's this is the week. And... Every time they're let down and they leave embarrassed. And, you know, I'm sorry. I know JoJo's working hard. I know he plays his butt off. He's one of my favorite players on that field. He's a guy who I think very easily could have an NFL future. And that's why part of why it disappointed me so much to hear him say this. But the honest-to-God truth is that he has failed. They have failed. And I say they because it's not on him. It's the coaching staff. It's, it is some of the senior leadership. It is some of the six-year guys who have come back. right? Like This defense is not going to ever get any older than it is this year or more of experienced or veteran. Like literally. It, it's impossible. Like it's, it's not allowed. So they all came back with the express mission of turning this thing around and going to a bowl game for the first time under Scott Frost. And the truth is, they failed. And the fans have the right to react to that the way they want, without blame, based on the way that they have been led to believe things in, in, in press conferences um, and you know by some of the level of play on the field. Right, and you know I, I get it, because at the end of the day, JoJo and the rest of the guys on the team, they're they're just like us. Obviously, not right. in physical stature, or athletic stature, but they are they're students at the University of Nebraska. Yes, they play football, but they're they're just like Grant and I. They're students, and so there's a level of that that I feel like you, at least in the booing, that I feel like you have to take into consideration. The booing can be directed at the coaching staff. I think that's 100% warranted because obviously they're, they're grown men. They do this for a profession. They're getting paid millions of dollars to do this, right? And they continuously underachieve. But with, 
leaving the stadium early, I don't. I I wanted to leave early. I I usually don't do that. I don't blame the fans for wanting to leave early, and I feel terrible for that guy who drove who drove down from Minnesota. Yeah, I, I and I would have left early for him. And five I'm, hours. I'm yeah, sure. Hour out of there early. I'm sure there were plenty of stories just like that. Right. In in Saturday, and my my mom was in town to go see this game. Yeah, she picked a game that would probably be the most likely on that preseason schedule that you think you'd win. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, because because my dad. He came earlier in, in the month when we played Northwestern, and that was a night game. It turned out to be great. You know, we, we killed him. And she, she'd she never been to a Husker game before, and it was just so disappointing. Like, obviously the atmosphere was like it was sold out and yada, yada, yada. You do all the Husker power chants and the, the tunnel walk. So all of that was cool, um, as it usually is. But just for that being her first experience, I don't know how many times that Minnesota guy's been there, but his friend and probably a lot of other people in that stadium. I mean, that's what that's a part of what makes Nebraska so special. And to see that happen is a disappointing but b understandable. Mm. And I am in that boat. Yeah. Be- I, I I feel bad for JoJo. I do. Because he cares. He does and it's care. Obvious that he cares. I like him a lot. I do too. But what he said was wrong. I I agree to a certain extent. You know, and and so I I mean that's the way I lo- I look at it. You know, I think again, you know, to go back to one of my other earlier rants, and I know I said at the beginning of this thing that I didn't care anymore, but that is the greatest enigma with this team because there are plenty of guys in key positions who care. Coaching staff and players. And it gets worse and worse each week. Why? It's the mystery that will probably never be solved. So, once again, your final score between Purdue and Nebraska, 28-23 to last Saturday. Purdue goes to 5-3. and Look out for them. And Nebraska falls to 3-6, and 1-5 and in the Big Ten. Outside of Nebraska, the West race is starting to heat up, too. Um, and then we had another really good game of the Big Ten, Michigan-MSU. Michigan State ended up winning that game 37-33, to and Kenneth Walker III may have solidified himself as a Heisman finalist. He had 23 carries for 197 yards and five touchdowns. Oh, Count them on your hand. That game was really great. Five. That game was phenomenal. It was so good. Loved it. Because Michigan was up 30-14 to in the Michigan State. All of a sudden, is wham, just a punch right back. And it helps that they were at home. They're but, real. I didn't think they were a legit no, team. No, they man. are. They, they're they a good are. team. They were very. Peyton Thorne looked a little shaky at the beginning, but he started to step up, make some big throws. Uh, J.J. McCarthy, which he's their freshman five-star quarterback at Michigan, he made a mistake, which was a, turned out to be a big one because it was a fumble that turned into a score for Kenneth Walker. And that's something I did not expect to see. But Michigan State is for real. They are in the hunt for Indianapolis. We'll see how that goes with Ohio State. Ohio State winning a narrow one against Penn State this weekend. So that was a little interesting to see. But yeah, and we we got to talk next week. We got to talk about coaches. That Penn State job is going to open up. Yep, it and is going how to open quickly up. If Nebraska is going to move on from Scott Frost, do, do they, they beat him to, to the punch? Do they have to get that job open and solidified before Penn State's is. Lots of interesting topics to talk about off-season-wise as well, so we'll dive into that in the next couple of weeks. 
But let's go into Husker Hoops. They yes. scrimmage. I know this is what we're all excited about, the right? I stuff. We've talked about this so either fun. last week or two weeks ago. During the bye week episode, we talked about how we both, or at least I love college basketball, and you're starting to get more into it now. More than thank, I was before. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. College basketball. College basketball, to me, and with the exception, exception of, of college football and the NFL, I will sit down and watch the most random game that's on. And be entertained. It could be two schools I never heard of, and that's what's so great about college basketball. And I, I'm so happy that there's going to be fans back. Um, in a Nebraska-related note, Hunter Salas, he just played in his first exhibition game with Gonzaga. Um, you had Chucky Hepburn play St. Thomas in a close scrimmage with Loyola Chicago and Wisconsin a couple weeks ago. So that's pretty cool as well. Um, so things are starting to pick up. Nova and Duke both had a close scrimmage. But on the uh, along the lines of exhibitions, Nebraska, they played Colorado in an exhibition scrimmage at Pinnacle Bank Arena on Halloween. Uh, that was to raise money for different charities, which is really cool to see. Yes. Um, and turnout was a great. I mean, I, I, I thought mean, it was pretty good. I thought good. it was thirty to forty percent full. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was pretty. It was more than I was expecting. And it was pretty. It was a pretty rock like loud group of fans for the amount that were there. I thought like well, I'm thinking like, man, after a win like this. You know, open night, opening night is going to be crazy. Uh, especially that Creighton game is going to be insane. I work on that opening night, so I'm going to need to configure Change a way that. to <laughs> get from one point A to point B quicker than usual. Your final score from Sunday was 82-67. Nebraska getting the 15-point win over Colorado. And this was a game that Nebraska really led by 20 from wire to wire. I mean, led by as much as 27, I think, at one point. Mm-hmm. Leads of 30 to 9 and, like, 67 to 40. <clears throat> you know, they, they looked they looked good. And Bryce McGowan's looked a lot better against Colorado than he did against Peru State. Yes. His shooting percentage wasn't great, but I'm so, glad that he was being more aggressive. So my thought on that is this. Um, his final line is deceptive because five of his points came in garbage time. Um, at the end of the game, he had one three that really kind of put it out of reach, but yeah. But the fact that he sees the ball go through the hoop is very is very important psychologically, especially for a freshman trying to know the game. I think it's very, very clear to me. I think maybe even more clear than I had originally thought that he is a freshman. Oh yeah. Um, it'll it'll take and some so time. So he makes some freshman decisions. There are a couple of attacks that he had in the lane on like the like slow up floater move that he mm-hmm. has. I think was something he kind of used a lot in high school. I don't know how well it's going to work. Uh, at the collegiate level against guys who are a bit lengthier. Um, but the good thing is, at least early, probably for the rest of the year, this roster is deep enough <clears throat> that he does not need to carry it. No. You could play 10 guys every night if you're Fred Hoiberg. Yeah. 10 guys. And he's got six very viable shooters on this t- on this team, including McGowan's, and then also a six foot eight, you know, stretch four in... Wilhelm Breidenbach, who can step out and hit as mm-hmm. well. I, I like the two threes that he hit back to back in the second half, which was probably one of the bigger highlights for Nebraska in a somewhat lackluster second half against Colorado. They um, did lose the second half technically. Well, yeah, not technically they one. did. They lost thirty nine thirty eight. Um, but like that was probably one of the offensive highlights, and both of those shots for him were ill advised. Like I, I was know, like, why are you doing this? And, and then he, they just and he hit both of them. Um, so I was like, okay, well, fine, I guess. But like that—that that to me is the most important thing, right? Because to play pace and space, you need shooters who can spread the floor, 
uh, and and require you know defenders to honor you. Mm-hmm. And they have enough of those shooters. There's an increase in volume of shooters from a year ago, and there's an increase in quality, right? Delano Banton does not have to force three-point shots later in the shot clock for this team. Uh, neither does Trey McGowan's, and that's a really, really good thing. I tweeted this out after the Peru, or during the Purdue State scrimmage. Alonzo Verge is good at basketball. He's really good at basketball. Oh, I second. The impact that he makes when he steps on the floor is at least through two exhibition games in my opinion is unrivaled with anybody else on the team he brings a confidence b he has a very fiery personality and c which obviously helps a lot in the game of collegiate basketball he's good he he knows how to create shots for himself he knows how to create for teammates some of the passes he's made in the past two games have been and that crossover awesome. in the paint. Yes, he's got great handles. He made a couple people touch earth uh, in the in the last two exhibition oh, that games. Was, that was a ballsy crossover. Like it was, and it worked really out. Slow crossover in the lane. Like he was maybe like he's fearless. He was maybe he was under ten feet away from the hoop. Yeah, like, and he took I would it right not, at him. Like I would not be doing my crossovers there. Um, but it was beautiful. It was one of the best fan favorite moments of the, of the game. And even when he's on the bench, too, I would look over and he's at least he's always on his feet. He's supporting his guys. He's he's really and you've seen instances before where maybe a guy like him, he's a transfer. He comes in and he's got this fiery personality and he's kind of loud and kind of in your face and the guys who have been there already don't like it that much. But it seems like he's gelled with the guys extremely well. And he's been extremely supportive. I know Fred Hoiberg, I think, likes him a lot. Um, and I think he's going to be an extremely valuable piece to this program because he hit Bryce on a really nice pass. He hit Trey on a couple of nice ones. You, him and Derek Walker had the two-man game going a lot in Peru State. Um, so I and think he doesn't, he, he doesn't force anything. No, he doesn't. That, to me, is the biggest thing. Because when you have a ball handler who doesn't force anything, who's patient, who's experienced enough to bring things back out. Like, I remember there's a fast break somewhere in the first half. And passed it to Bryce in the corner, and then he got it back from Bryce. He wanted it back from Bryce because Bryce was going to do something with it. And they reset, ran a nice, got some good ball movement, got a wide open three. I think it was, I can't remember exactly who hit it. But it was like one of those where I was like, you know, Trey, when Trey is the primary ball handler, mm-hmm. I was just going to say He has that. a tendency to force a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Um, and he doesn't always make the best decisions. And so when Trey can just be on the floor, his his skill is his defense and he can just slash without having to facilitate as much, uh that's really huge. That's really really huge and Burge provides that. Yeah, and hopefully Trey can start to learn that habit from playing with Alonzo because we saw even a fast break that stands out to me against Colorado is they were coming down. It was a three-on-two, uh, and it was both of the McGowans and then Lat Mayan was coming off the left wing, and he had a wide-open look at three. I think it was. But, I think if, if, we're, if you're on the alley-oop one, right? Yeah, where you tried yeah, to lob was, it to Bryce. It was t- even worse, it was Tomanaga in the corner, wide open. Well, Tomanaga was in the corner. Him. I will because all my attention went to Lat because he was upset after the play after the ball went out of bounds. He's like, I'm right here. Give me the ball. And Lat's a good shooter. Obviously, right. you have him, you have CJ, you have Tomanaga, obviously, who's unbelievable. I, I can't wait to watch him in a real game. That's going to be awesome. But uh, it, it's hopefully he will start to develop that skill and that patience 
and learn that from Alonzo because Alonzo is an ex- experienced player. He's a grad transfer, so um, obviously he's played a, a lot of college basketball. So hopefully Trey will be able to learn that patient style and don't force anything because that will help you a lot because in the Big Ten, you turn a ball over and transition, boom, it's transition right back the other way for the opposition. Yep. And yep. it's it's crazy how how much a four point swing can mean in the Big Ten, which is going to be a, a big test. And I, I'm very a pleasantly surprised and glad that Nebraska was able to really dominate the majority of this game. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they come out against Creighton in two weeks. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of good recruits uh, that were in attendance. Um, you know, the crowd already has plenty of fan favorites. I think Derek Walker is going to slowly but surely climb that list because he is a very, very silent but important partner for this group. Um, his defense in the pick and roll is phenomenal, and his offensive ability in the pick and roll is also, a, you know, a severe, a big strength. So having him, that's going to be big because he's going to have to battle the Kofi Coke Burns. You know, he's going to have to battle the bigs in the Big Ten, uh, and I and I think Derek Walker's capable of doing it. Like, this is a pretty tall and beefy front court for Colorado, and this is a team that, even though they lost their t- top two statistical scores, uh, is still projected to finish sixth in the Pac-12. So this is not a Peru state that they played and decimated. It was a solid Colorado team. Yeah, and they're not, you know, Colorado's head coach said afterwards, we're not in mid- midseason form, and neither are they. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, incredibly hopeful and encouraging after a tough weekend. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun to watch them down in PBA. I know the women's team has a scrimmage tonight. Midland. Against Midland. Um, So that will be one to look out for as well as they begin their season on November 9th, I believe. I think it's the same, yeah. Yeah, both of the teams. So November 9th, that's like the real first night of college basketball. That's when the Champions Classic is um, and all those big games. So super excited for college basketball. Um, and that will do it for us on Rapid Reactions. Episode number seven, we talked about Nebraska-Purdue, Nebraska's loss. 28-23 to is our final score in that one, and the Nebraska beating Colorado on the hardwood, your final score in that. Charity exhibition, 82-67. to The season begins in eight days for the college basketball season, so that'll be a lot of too fun long. to look out for. Too long to wait. Yes, too long. Who's counting, right? So that will do for us on Rapid Reactions number seven. Once again, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at C underscore Clark and at Hanson15 underscore Hanson. Um, Find us on Twitter at Husker Weekly. That's our show, Twitter. And search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar on your favorite podcast networks. Full basketball preview coming up here on Husker Sports Weekly in the next week. So we will see you then. But until that episode, go Big Red.